I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your threat. Hello, my name is Will and this is Exploding Helicopter, the number one rated podcast about films where helicopters explode. Stanley Denen is best known as the director of classic musicals such as Singing in the Rain, Funny Face and On the Town. But in the 1960s, he broadened his range by making a pair of Hitchcock-inspired mystery thrillers. The films featured top Hollywood names, glamorous European locations and racy espionage plots. The first of those films, 1963's Charade, which starred Audrey Hepburn and Cary Grant, was a critical and commercial success. So it was no surprise that a few years later, Denen sought to repeat the trick by producing another suspense and romance-filled adventure. And that's the film we're going to be looking at on this show, the 1966 movie Arabesque, which features one of the most unusual methods of helicopter destruction we've yet seen. To help me look over the film, I've called in an old friend of the Exploding Helicopter podcast. So joining me today is Todd Rebenau from the Forgotten Filmcast. Welcome back to the show, Todd. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a little while since you've been on the Exploding Helicopter podcast. And last time you were on, we were looking at a very different sort of film. The, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the uh, Chuck Norris classic, Invasion uh, USA. Now, I think at the time you weren't terribly familiar with Mr. Norris's canon of work, but I'm pleased to see that since then you've been continuing your education. How have you enjoyed your further explorations of his work? Oh, I definitely have. I mean, you know, Chuck Norris is uh well you know you got to take his films with a certain frame of mind i guess but (laughs) (laughs) i I, even the ones that are you know not quite stellar you know there's certainly something to enjoy with them and uh you know chuck is certainly magnetic on screen so you can't argue with that (laughs) and um which of his ones would you say you've uh, particularly enjoyed I ended up, and I think this came after we did our discussion on Invasion USA, I ended up doing a discussion on my podcast about Code of Silence, which I thought was rather good. Kind of a different style film Mm. for Chuck Norris. You know, it's directed by uh, the guy that directed like The Fugitive and and such. So it's, it's kind of got a different approach to it. And it takes place in Chicago, which is where I grew up. So that was interesting. But uh, on the level of more, you know, kind of the the <laughs> like Invasion USA films, I uh, a few months back watched The Hero and the Terror, which oh, yeah. I kind of had fun with. I mean, it's got the guy that was uh, Jack O'Halloran, who's one of the, the supervillains in Superman 2, you know, playing the bad guy. So that was a bit of crazy fun. I think you also watched Breaker Breaker, which uh, I'm particularly interested in for reasons I'm sure you can guess. (laughs) Yeah, Breaker Breaker is wild. You know, it's kind of this... You got a truck driver doing kung fu, and uh, you know it's it's kind of like mixing the Chuck Norris uh, martial arts trend with the hype over stuff like Smokey and the Bandit. You know, <laughs> kind of weird. Yeah, and I think it has a helicopter exploded by somebody driving a uh, articulated lorry through it. So I'm definitely going to have to get round to uh, that film at some point. But uh, you mentioned your own podcast, Forgotten Filmcast, and that's where you like to uh, celebrate movies that time forgot. Would that be a sort of fair way to describe what you do? Yes. Yeah. I, I always like to look at those movies that don't get talked about much anymore. I, it kind of grew out of the fact that I was not getting the th- to the theater very much and sitting around watching what was on Netflix. And back then there was a lot of movies that I'd go through the, the list on Netflix and I go, well, I've never heard of that. OK, let's give it a shot. And I figured there's lots of people writing about 
the new releases, I'm going to write about these movies that don't get talked about anymore. And that kind of went into the podcast and all that. And it, it's been a lot of fun. You know, it's always great to find those hidden gems and just be able to go, ooh, I, I've seen this movie that only like 50 people have logged on Letterboxd, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So what would you say is the favorite film you've discovered whilst doing the Forgotten Film Cast? Oh, my gosh. That's a really difficult question. Throw out a couple that, if you don't want to choose yeah, one. One that I really enjoyed actually came very early on. I, I'm getting really close to the 100th episode of the show. But I want to say it was around episode like 12 or 13, something like that. I had a guest on the show, and, and when I asked him on, he immediately said, can we watch last train from gun hill which is uh kirk douglas it kind of is coming right off the heels of gunfight at okay corral same filmmakers same sets in a lot of ways and i just found it to be a really really intriguing western and that was probably one of my favorites of the early days of watching the show or what of doing the podcast so oh that sounds interesting because i'm a big fan of westerns big fan of kirk douglas but i haven't actually seen that film so uh, i think i'm gonna go into seek it out yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, I think it's time for us to uh, delve deeply into Arabesque's treasures, so let's see if Trailer Man can explain the formula of this film. Combine international intrigue with murder and romance, and you'll get Arabesque. Hello. Starring Gregory Peck and Sophia Loren. Oh, don't stop. It feels divine. Professor Pollock's easygoing lifestyle is about to change. Let me go. Good morning, Mr. Pollock. Mr. Prime Minister. Bishravi is opposed to our programs and plans some violent exercise of that opposition in the near future. We have to find out what he intends doing and when. An Egyptology professor, played by Gregory Peck, finds himself at the centre of an international intrigue after he's hired by a mysterious Arab, played by Alan Bedell, to decipher some hieroglyphics. The seemingly innocent code-breaking takes a sinister turn when Bedell's girlfriend, played by Sophia Loren, warns Peck that he'll be murdered as soon as he decodes the message. Fearing for his life, gangly Greg absconds with Loren, only to find himself pursued by Bedell's goons, who want to recapture him and the pharaonic riddle. Now, Exploding Helicopter must confess that uh, that summary scarcely covers the first 20 minutes of this film, but uh, by common consent, Arabesque has a torturously complicated plot. So for the sake of brevity, not to mention our own uncertain grip of events, we're not going to say much more about it. Uh, suffice to say that the rest of the film involves lots of uh, double dealing and sinister skullduggery as various groups uh, vie for getting hold of this uh, ancient text and its secrets. Uh, the film is generally well regarded on IMDb. It has a rating of 6.6, uh, .6, while on Rotten Tomatoes it has a critics rating of 64% and an audience rating of 55%. Arabesque did pick up some critical attention from the awards uh, and the cinematography won a BAFTA uh, and it was also nominated um, for costume design and uh, editing. But Todd, this was a first time watch for you. What did you make of Arabesque? I found it to be a really interesting film. I was pleasantly surprised just then I hadn't heard that it won a BAFTA for its cinematography. And I think that's very well deserved. I think one of the things that stands out most about this movie is its unique visual style. Uh, it's got a lot of shots where they are photographing like through items or mm. we're seeing the reflection of things. You know, we our main actors, we're just seeing them through a mirror or reflected through someone's glasses or something like that. I thought that was a really, really interesting approach to things. 
uh, when I thought about this movie, I thought, well, this is like an accidental James Bond type of film. You know, when when you start things off, the opening credit sequence is very much inspired by a James Bond film. And then as things move on, you've got Gregory Peck as this guy who's kind of a, you know, stuffy professor type of guy that kind of falls into this situation. And sometimes he ends up to being quite uh, handy with it. And other times he kind of bumbles his way through it, you know, but I, I found him to be a, a an interesting character that I enjoyed following through all this. And like you said, it is a complicated plot. I mean, I reached a certain point with this where I just kind of said, well, you know what? Forget it. I'm not going to try to <laughs> not going to try to make sense of all this. I'm just going to kind of ride with it. And just looking over the Wikipedia page really quickly here uh, before we got started, I saw that Stanley Donnan actually someone quotes him as saying something along the lines of his main goal was to make this so visually exciting that the audience wouldn't have time to work out what the hell was going on and i was like yeah i think that definitely happened to me as i was watching this movie i got definitely caught up in the visuals some good decent action sequences there i didn't end up you know really caring a whole lot about the macguffin of the movie which you know is fine that's kind of what's meant to be yeah, and I think you, you nail a couple of things here with this film. It's definitely a really enjoyable film, but I think you need to basically switch off your critical thinking, suspend your disbelief, because the plot doesn't make a lot of sense or it's really hard to follow. And uh, having watched this film a couple of times now, I kind of factor that into the equation. And actually, it's kind of gone up a bit in my estimation because you can kind of rule those aspects of the film out and you can just kind of get on with enjoying what there is to enjoy in this movie and as you say this is a really uh, visually entertaining film you know you it might feel a little bit gimmicky but uh, there, there aren't too many films that kind of go all out stylistically like right this. so why not just enjoy it let's not uh, sort of pick holes in it uh, too much and you've got a couple of big name Hollywood actors here this might not be their best work and this might not be their best film but you know, it's really entertaining to see, you know, Gregory Peck and Sophia Loren working together on screen. Yeah, I agree. Uh, jumping back real quick with what you were saying about, you know, the visual style feeling gimmicky at first. I, I agree. Yeah. The first time you see it, you go, oh, that's cute, but that's a little cheesy. But they stick with it. You know, they keep mm. doing interesting shots. And so I was on board once it, it I realized, OK, that's the approach we're going to have here. Uh, as for the actors, yeah, I agree. They It's not their best, but it's certainly enjoyable enough. I mean, Gregory Peck is one of those actors who, and I admit, I certainly don't have the full exposure to his big film career i've seen some important things you know but there's a lot of holes but gregory peck is one of those guys that when i see him it's always a little bit hard for him to shall we say vanish he's always mm. gregory peck you know what i mean <laughs> um but i think that kind of works for him in this because he's meant to be a little bit of a a, a stuffy uh, you know stiff back type of guy you know you know he's trying to put up a good front when he gets put into these situations that are really kind of awkward for him it works that it's oh it's Gregory Peck and he's kind of stumbling around you know that's kind of fun and he's got some some good slightly awkward chemistry with Sophia Loren <laughs> you know I mean 
that sequence where she's in the shower and he's hiding is really pretty funny. And and uh, I thought, you know, with an actor that was maybe a bit more laid back than Gregory Peck is, it wouldn't work quite as well. Yeah, because that is that's one scene that is very, very entertaining in, in this film. And basically what happens in this scene is that uh, Gregory Peck is trying to have a sort of covert conversation with Sophia Loren. Uh, another character, you know, arrives at the room that they're in. So uh, Peck hides in the shower and uh, basically Sophia Loren is kind of forced into then sort of uh, getting into the shower. Uh, and She's obviously got no clothes on and Gregory Peck is this, uh, as you were saying, this fusty academic and, you know, so he's uh, starting to feel a bit sort of hot under the collar as uh, anyone would <laughs> when you've got a uh, unclothed Sophia Loren in front of you. And yeah, uh, it yeah. reminded me that type of uh, that type of uh, scene reminded me very much of uh, something that uh, Alfred Hitchcock would have uh, would have included in in one of his films. And uh, Hitchcock is a is a regular reference point for this film and for uh, Charade, which came out a few years earlier. Do you see the sort of comparisons to uh, to his films in this one? Oh, definitely. And especially, I, I think the film that you're going to draw the most parallels to is one of my favorite Hitchcock films, and that's North by Northwest. Mm. Uh, again, that, that Peck's character is this accidental hero in this, you know, much in the same way Cary Grant is in North by Northwest. And I think I even read that, that Grant was the first choice for Stanley Donovan to play yeah. this part, you know. And you can certainly see where uh, this would, would fit into the type of roles that Cary Grant played. But yeah, the Hitchcockian elements in this are very clear. Donovan definitely takes kind of a different twist on things. You know, he doesn't have the same style that Hitchcock does. But that mix of suspense with some elements of humor is very much in line with what you see in a film like North by Northwest. I wanted to jump back to uh, some points you were making about uh, Peck's character in this movie. And, uh, you know, you seem to think that uh, it worked quite well. I have to say, I've got a slightly different take on it because, uh, you know, Peck often plays these roles where he's a he's a very straight-laced guy he's somebody mm. who is, is a fit often in his movies a, a figure of uh, moral authority and you know here he's met playing this sort of peaceable um, academic and you know he's got you know that's kind of within his range but he then finds himself caught up in this international intrigue and he has to engage in this sort of whirlwind romance with Sophia Loren and at various moments in the film when he's facing sort of life-threatening danger he's making these um, insouciant sort of uh, offhand sarcastic comments and i have to say it was at moments like that that uh, it was at those particular moments i felt that gregory peck didn't quite work in this role because you know he's a bit um he's a bit too sort of straight laced to sort of be believable as somebody who would be facing danger in in quite such a light-hearted way i can get behind that yeah there's a few moments where I mean, if you want to call them joke lines, you know, that where he's flat out making a sarcastic comment that, yeah, I, I can see that it comes across maybe a little bit awkward. But I don't know. I, I think kind of the way that he is a little bit of a, a bumbler, shall we say, mm. you know, where he's someone that is trying to put <laughs> up a good front that he's got it all together. And, and like I say, he's, you know, he's coming from an academic uh, environment where, you know, he's he's well respected on all that. And he's thrown into this this situation where he is out of his element in a lot of ways. I don't know. That charmed me in certain ways. 
Yeah, I can I can see that. And we've already spoken about how sort of Cary Grant was actually the original choice um, for this role. And you can definitely see him working in this film. But at the same time, you know, he, he's got that sort of natural laid back style that it may not have worked quite as well because he would have mm-hmm. just sort of skated through this movie, giving off that sort of attitude like, well, I, I perhaps I'm, I'm coming out of this unscathed and it would have perhaps removed a little bit of the jeopardy that uh, you need to feel at certain points in this in the plot of this movie i agree and i think that if it had been Cary grant it might have come across more of he's just resting on his laurels you know because it's (laughs) it's pretty much just going through the 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 north by northwest thing again here if it was Cary grant i think having it be gregory peck kind of puts a different spin on things One thing going back, I mean, we've spoken about North by Northwest a couple of times in relation to this film. And I I think for me, one of the aspects of the plot here that didn't work for me and I think is better done in a film like North by Northwest is this idea of how the everyman character is is thrown into the plot. So, you know, in both those films, we have accidental heroes. And in this film, in Arabesque, Peck's motivations aren't really that clear. He's, you know, somebody tries to hire him to decipher these hieroglyphics. He turns them down. Then he's persuaded by the prime minister of this invented country to actually take on this job. And quite why Peck decides to to take on the job is never really clear. There's one solitary line to explain it where Peck sort of says, "Oh, you know, Mr. Prime Minister, I'm a huge admirer of yours." Right. But we we know, you know, that that remark or why he has that opinion is never explained so you sort of think well, why is he exposing himself to this sort of life-threatening danger and i think that sort of does sort of harm the uh the kind of the the believability of the plot especially at the beginning i think once you get into the film you kind of well we're on we're on for the ride now but um certainly in the first act of the movie that does kind of you know i did bump up against that yeah, I agree. I mean, basically, he's just saying, oh, I'm a political fanboy, and we really don't know what <laughs> is behind that. And I, I do think that's an area where we could have gotten more out of this prime minister character who, you know, I thought it was an interesting uh, performance, uh, but, you know, I, I wanted to look, know a little bit more. Why is this guy so respected? You know, what mm. has he done that's so great for his country, uh, especially since we have such a, a wonderfully interesting villain that he's up against? But I think, you know, over time, Peck's primary motivation for being in this situation is Sophia Loren. And again, like I said, <laughs> who can blame him, you know? <laughs> Well, let's talk about Sophia Loren and sort of Gregory Peck a, a little bit more. And Arabesque was a kind of a sequel to uh, Charade, which came out a few years earlier. Well, I say sequel, sequel in the sense that um, it was Stanley Denen basically doing a very similar type of plot of film. And Charade starred Audrey Hepburn and, and Cary Grant. And a big part of the success of that film is the chemistry between the two actors. And uh, Denen had wanted Grant for this for the lead role in this film, but had been unable to sign him. So we have Gregory Peck instead. What did you make of the of the sort of the dynamic with him and uh, Sophia Loren? We've already spoken about the kind of the bathroom shower scene 
scene, but there's some, you know, the there's some there's some other scenes, you know, where they have, uh, you know, where kind of they play together as a couple. Uh, I think one scene that did stand out for me in terms of perhaps their chemistry not being the greatest was the introduction of of Sophia Loren's character, where Gregory Peck sort of his jaw drops and he just sort of goes hello, 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 and it just yeah. is, it's just a bit <laughs> awkward. It, it was a little bit awkward. At the same time, you know, I'm kind of going well would i do much better if i was (laughs) with sophia loren you know because i mean come on you know gorgeous gorgeous woman but i agree it takes a little time for them to settle into the chemistry shall we say Mm. i think there are several moments where it is definitely there i think there may be even a few times in this where sophia loren i mean it it's a fine performance for her it's not her best there's maybe a few times where she struggles a little bit and I think just goes back to, well, I'm Sophia Loren. Look at me. I mean, come <laughs> on, you know? Uh, so I think she skirts by a little bit on that, but there are a few fun moments of kind of playful bickering between mm. Peck and Loren that I think really work. So yeah, I agree. It's awkward in the beginning, but as we move through things, I like that there's, you know, uh, there's always a little bit of doubt as to exactly what side Sophia Loren's mm. character is on. I think that they, they play off each other well in those moments. There's some good moments that are kind of more of the, shall we say, action sequences that they have together. I mean, like, I really dug them ducking the big swinging yeah. uh, wrecking ball type of thing. Uh, you know, I thought that was a fun sequence and they work well together in that. So, so yeah, it takes a little time for them to kind of get on the same wavelength. But ultimately, I think do think they get there. And... We should talk about the style of this film, and it's a very self-conscious style that we've got here, and that's apparent from the the opening credits, which are very elaborate. There's this psychedelic swirl of colours, courtesy of uh, uh, Morris uh, Binder, who did the titles for many James Bond films, mm-hmm. and the opening scene of this this movie involves lots of shots using uh, reflective surfaces and, and framing shots in strange ways. You know, did that add to the, the mood of the film, or did it become a distraction for you it didn't become a distraction to me i I thought it just helped kind of set this uh you know it it kind of reminded me that oh this is the 60s and and you know we can kind of get away with a lot of interesting things here and and that directors weren't afraid to maybe take some chances like this i mean i I was really surprised with that visual style when i saw that it was stanley don and i'm like this guy did singing in the rain you know which i Mm. I would say is the greatest movie musical of all time and is a very very different approach than something like this i would have never if you just shown me the two films and not shown me who directed them i would have never figured it was directed by the same guy so i I found the the uh the unique visuals to be something that really helped keep me engrossed in the film i would broadly agree with you i i I think for the for the most part you know they are properly committed to this it's not half-hearted they really go all out and um you know that's apparent from the from the very earliest moments in this film where you see this character being um uh, assassinated in a very unusual way where he's uh, assassinated by uh, an optician via some uh, oh, yeah. eye drops which is a, a very peculiar scene to say the least but at least tells you exactly the sort of tone that this film is going to be uh, taking i did think there were a few moments where it did feel like they were trying a 
little bit too hard with the with the style I, I tell you the one scene that really didn't work for me is the motorway hallucination scene where Gregory Peck is is drugged and finds himself sort of wandering down a motorway um, sort of uh, under the influence of some sort of uh, of drug and uh, starts imagining that he's a matador and sort of uh, waving his jacket <laughs> yeah. at, at passing cars it, it, that that scene it I didn't think it was a particularly good idea and it did go on a little bit too long in my view. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That one was a little out of left field. <laughs> but we do get to see some very um, sort of unusual action sequences, I guess, in this film. And you've mentioned one already where they find themselves on a, on a building site and one of the uh, villains tries to uh, kill off uh, Sophia Loren and Gregory Peck using... Uh, I don't know what you call that, a big wrecking ball um, yeah. for waving that around. And there's also a very strange sequence where I don't think I've ever seen heroes in a film threatened by, you know, threatened with death by Combine Harvester. Yeah, or, you know, this is something like Maximum Overdrive or something like that. I don't, I don't remember if they even did that in that movie, but that that's kind of what came to mind. Yeah, here come all the farm tools coming to, to get them. <laughs> but yeah, again, though, when that happened, I was like, okay, this is interesting, you know. <laughs> and uh, I mean, those those machines do look pretty menacing coming after them. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I think overall Arabesque is, you know, a really enjoyable film. It does have uh, some problems. Um, I think, you know, some aspects of the plot aren't as, uh, you know, have a, they have a few holes in. They, uh, you know, and it's, and it's leaking in various pl places. But uh, the script does have quite a few witty one-liners in it. And I think, you know, if you don't look to poke too many holes in it, it's, um, it's actually a really good, fun, enjoyable watch. Well, I keep referencing James Bond, but like with a James Bond movie, many times with those, I just say, you know, forget the plot. I've got the basic idea. Here's the good guy. Here's the girl. Here's the villain, you know, and, and what they're actually going after eventually doesn't matter. And that's the case <laughs> with this. I, I did think there was an interesting twist, though, on the MacGuffin, you know, where we're thinking that it's all about discovering what the message is and the hieroglyphics. And there's actually something else that's hidden in there. I, I thought that was an interesting little twist on things. But, yeah, once we got to that point, I pretty much stopped trying to figure out what exactly was going on with all that stuff i do want to jump back because i found alan bell as the villain to be a lot of fun in this uh when, when he first showed up on screen i th went peter sellers is that peter sellers but <laughs> it's not peter sellers looked like him at first but I, I loved his approach to things where he's just so full of himself mm. you know <laughs> and 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 uh like the moments where his henchmen screw up something he stands there very calmly and just reaches out and smacks him across the face <laughs> idiot you know <laughs> and, and he doesn't lose it like crazy but it's just a quick slap you know and then it's moving on to the next thing you know for me he was kind of the the unsung hero of this film i, I I really got caught up in the villain. Oh yeah, he is. Um, he gives an excellent performance in this film. He's very laid back, um, and he delivers. Um, he has some great one-liners, and he delivers them in a in a very sort of louche, droll way, yeah. which underplays them, but they're all the more in enjoyable for the sort of understated way that he um, sort of uh, puts them across. But yeah, it's a very charismatic performance from him, and he he's aided by the fact that he has he has a very beautifully toned voice, which he mm -hmm. uh, who really works hard to convey the villainy of this particular character, because he's he's very much of the sort of urbane school. Of villains 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I admit, this is an actor that I don't know that I'd really seen in anything else, but I'm I'm intrigued to see what else he's done because I found him to be very interesting in this. Well, exploding helicopter exists for one reason, and that's to study the many and various ways that uh, helicopters explode. So uh, we're going to turn our attention to that right now. But uh, first of all, we're going to take a quick break. So don't go away. We'll be right back. MovieMavericks.com, broadcasting current box office breakdowns, movie news and reviews. Now for your hosts, Jason and Trevor. Hey now, even though we're over 200 episodes deep into the Movie Mavericks podcast, it's still not too late to start listening. Where every show we give you 10 truths, 20 lies, and a bunch of Hollywood secrets. It's like existentialism slipping into nihilism. MovieMavericks.com We're back, and now we're going to be looking at the single most important aspect of any film, The Exploding Helicopter. Now, this is a very interesting chopper fireball for several reasons. Uh, Firstly, the method of destruction is very unusual, but also it is one of the oldest exploding helicopters in film history. Only two films predate the detonating helicopter in Arabesque. So how does it happen? Well, it occurs as part of the film's big climax. Gregory Peck and Sophia Loren are being pursued across the countryside by the uh, villainous Bedell. He's aboard a helicopter with some uh, machine gun wielding goons. The helicopter, for those of you who like to uh, know these things, is a Bell 47J Ranger. Um, our hero's escape takes them to a large iron bridge that is currently undergoing repairs. They run onto the bridge while the baddies take pot shots from the chopper swooping above. Clambering down onto a gangway, Peck finds a ladder that has been left by some maintenance workers. And as the helicopter flies underneath the bridge to make another pass, Greg uh, drops the ladder into the Whirlybird's rotor blades. The damaged chopper spins off before crashing into the river below and exploding. So, Todd, what did you make of the exploding helicopter action here? <laughs> um, I thought the setup was great. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and I admit about, oh, you know, a few seconds, 10, 15, 20 seconds or so before it happens, you can see it coming a mile away. Oh, Your yeah. brain connects the dots and you go, <laughs> ooh, I like this, you know. And uh, so he drops that into the helicopter. Ultimately, I'm a little mixed on it. I mean, I like the build up to it. I like the way that it happens. Once that ladder gets stuck in the rotors, though, we have quite a few shots where it's in the cockpit. You don't see as much of the helicopter actually spinning out of control, going down into the the water. I mean, I get it. This is, you know, the late 60s. They didn't have quite the technology to do the chopper fireballs like they do nowadays. So I realized they were kind of covering themselves on things. You know, I would have liked to see a bit more of the chopper actually spinning out of control, not as much of the baddies, uh, you know, kind of screaming in the cockpit, uh, you know. (laughs) But, you know, just just the setup of the crash alone, that I think is is magical. But, you know, it could have been a little better on the actual execution. One thing I noticed in the execution, and I've noticed this in a few exploding helicopters, is um, did you uh, notice on the kind of the sound effects that they were using that they use that sort of high pitch whine that you often hear in, say, old war movies when a, a fighter plane is uh, right. has been shot down towards the ground to sort of crash? And they use that sort of whining sound as the helicopter is spinning down towards the ground. And I just, you know, 
I don't think it's going to make that sound on a plane. I can I can get it because of the you know the aerodynamics of a plane, but a helicopter I just don't believe that sound, and I don't quite know why they use that sound effect. Well, you know, like you said, this is one of the earliest recorded exploding helicopters in cinema. So, you know, the sound technicians, they were still learning their way here. They didn't know any better yet. <laughs> but uh, just going back to the, the, the actual sequence itself and, and some of the shots that you used, I, I think you describe it perfectly. They are limited by the special effects of the of the day and I, they do a pretty good job to to sort of show the helicopter but the actual um helicopter when it sort of crashes into the river and explodes that looked pretty good they must have yeah, dropped yeah. something that uh you know i don't imagine they dropped a real helicopter but they they must have created some sort of life-size replica and uh, dropped that into the river and that looked uh, that looked pretty good as a decent uh, explosion although one aspect of the explosion did sort of puzzle me that uh, after the main explosion we do see sort of like some flames that are continuing to burn but they appear to be burning underneath the water which um i'm not sure is um possible uh with the kind of laws of uh, physics or chemistry yeah yeah i i don't know either but yeah i agree that when the chopper hits the water the actual explosion yeah pretty decent pretty decent but you do kind of got to look at it and say yeah it, it there was only so much they could do here in the late 60s do you think that dropping a wooden ladder into the rotor blades of a helicopter would have caused that kind of damage i mean do we think that those blades would spin so fast that they might just sort of chop up the ladder before it could cause some real damage to the helicopter now, I guess I didn't look at the ladder close enough. Is it wooden? I guess in my mind, I assumed it was a metal ladder, but... It's, it's definitely wood. Okay, okay. Yeah, boy, I, that that is a good question. I mean, you might have just chopped up a bunch of toothpicks here and might not have actually done a bunch of damage. But, but you know, it's the movies, so anything happens, right? You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've seen enough crazy stuff uh, up until this point in the movie that uh, we, pro we probably shouldn't uh, start picking holes in uh, how uh, destructive this uh, a wooden ladder can be in this, in this particular situation. But... Uh... I think it's uh, probably time to uh, to wrap up this uh, episode of the Exploding Helicopter podcast. Todd, as you've been such a, a good sport, would you like to uh, take a minute to tell people uh, where they can find you online and find the uh, the different things that you're involved with in terms of movies? Oh, sure. I will never turn down the opportunity to promote my stuff. Uh, so, yeah, uh, my main blog is called Forgotten Films, and you can find that at ForgottenFilmCast.wordpress.com. Uh, that's where I post all my reviews. Over there, you'll also find links to my podcast called The Forgotten Filmcast. And then I do have another podcast, which you can also find links to on my main blog, which is called Walt Sent Me. It's all about Disney movies. I, I co-host that with Kristen Lopez from Journeys in Classic Film. Uh, I always say it's about Disney in the grand sense of things, because as many people may or may not realize, Disney has many studios that operate under their name. And there are many movies that they have released over the years that you may not realize are Disney movies. Uh, so we cover all of them. So, you know, animated films, the stuff released by Touchstone Pictures, Hollywood Pictures, you know, Marvel, uh, Star Wars, even when they owned Miramax, we cover a bunch of those movies. So uh, it's a lot of fun kind of covering the uh, the big spectrum of Disney movies. 
Well, uh, once you're done with uh, checking out uh, all Todd's excellent uh, websites and podcasts, make sure you check out the Expanding Helicopter website, uh, where we've got lots of uh, reviews of films and facts on how helicopters explode in movies. If you like what we do, then don't be shy of telling your friends. We could always uh, use some new listeners. Give us a shout out on social media. Help spread the word about Chopper Fireballs in films. We'll be back soon, but until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. That's the old rest card, please, sir. Diners Club, I'm afraid I don't recognize you. We're doing a piece on the Arabic cuisine. I'm sorry, sir. I'm afraid it's not on my list. You'll be on mine if you don't get out of the way. I'm sorry, sir. Do you care to make a comment on the treaty you intend signing tomorrow? I fear you've been misinformed, sir. I shall not sign the treaty. Listen! Get us through! That man's about to be killed! I hardly think so, sir. This is a 